Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Our sermon text for this morning is verses 34 through 50. And uh, let me say that, you know, we've been in John for a while now. I don't know when we started or even started the latest dip into John, but uh, we, after John 12, we'll have a little break from John. Uh, we'll have an Advent series uh, in December, uh, and then we'll actually be going back to Genesis before we get to John. So if you've been here for any length of time, you know we've been bouncing back and forth between Genesis and John. So John 12 is kind of the end of the first half of the Gospel of John. So we will, uh, uh, the next time, either in January or early February, uh, we will be back, not in John, but in Genesis. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together before we read John 12, 34 to 50. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, help us now as we draw near to you. We pray that you would open our eyes and open our minds and soften our hearts, that we would um, see with our eyes and hear with our ears and understand with our minds uh, that we would understand uh, what you have said about your son in your word. Uh, we pray that you would do this work by your spirit. We trust you, Father. We trust the work of your spirit. We pray that your spirit would work in us now and through us to your glory and honor. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> John 12, beginning uh, with verse 34. So the crowd answered Jesus, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. 
and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Well, I used to know everybody in the room. Uh, Most of you know that All Souls used to meet in the YMCA on campus, and uh, when I first got here nine years ago, there, there might have been as few as 25 people on a Sunday morning. It was easy to know everybody and have at least some sense of where they were spiritually. Uh, it's not so, even, uh, not so easy anymore, even with students gone for Thanksgiving. Uh, it's still uh, not easy to know everyone anymore, and, and, and we can mourn that, and I do. Uh, but it's part of growth and change, and all living things grow and change. Uh, but as a result, I've got a question for you. Where are you spiritually? Perhaps you've been coming for a while and you still struggle to believe. Something keeps bringing you back, but something else stands in your way. Stands in your way of believing the doctrines of Christianity. What is that? What's in your way? What is stopping you? Well, our text this morning speaks into that. It speaks into three barriers, three obstacles, three hindrances to belief. Confusion, I just don't understand. Arrogance, I know better. And apathy, who cares? And each of those points, each of our points this morning, each uh, addresses one of those barriers. And so our outline is, is what to believe, what gets in the way, and why it matters. First, what to believe. Uh, everybody in this room comes from a, a different place, right? Some of you grew up in the church. You've, you've heard a lot of this stuff before, but you still may have questions. You may have doubts, curiosities, disagreements. Uh, some of you didn't grow up in the church, and everything is strange. Uh, you're wondering why we do this and say that. Uh, why do Christians sing together and recite creeds together and sit and stand and sit and stand and sit and stand? Uh, What's a testament? What's a gospel? And if you've looked over your bulletin, you're wondering what in the world is an invocation and a doxology and a benediction? Uh, There are lots of questions if you're new to the whole Christianity thing. The crowds in Jesus' day had questions too. At this point in John's gospel, his story of the good news of Jesus, he is wrapping up Jesus' interactions with the crowds. And after chapter 12, we slow down and focus on Jesus and his disciples, beginning in chapter 13. But at this point, John wants to to give us a kind of summary picture of the response of the crowds to Jesus. Now, Jesus has just said in verses 32 to 33, he said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John adds, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And the crowds respond like this. They, they, it says, so the crowds answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? See, they're, they're reading the Old Testament and passages that talk about the Son of David who will sit on the throne forever. And they're trying to figure out how that squares with Jesus. Jesus says he will be lifted up. The law says the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed king will remain forever. Oh, how does that work, Jesus? Who is this son of man that you're talking about? What kind of a Christ are you talking about? And the crowd's question is actually quite perceptive. 
Jesus talks about himself being lifted up, but they, they put that together with other things that Jesus has said, his favorite title for himself, which is son of man. But he's also made it clear that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the son of David, the anointed king. And they're trying to put all these pieces together and they, they just can't do it. It's unclear, unclear what they even think Jesus means by when I am lifted up. I mean, do they understand that Jesus means his death? Or do they understand that to mean Jesus returned to his father in heaven as he is so often talked about in John's gospel? I'm not really sure what they think, how they understand those words, but it's clear that they can't put all the pieces together. And so they say, what are you talking about, Jesus? How does this work? And Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, doesn't answer their question, at least not in any direct way. Instead, he says this in verses 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now, Jesus has already told us in John's gospel multiple times, actually, that he is the light of the world. He is the light. And we'll come back to that imagery later, but notice what Jesus is saying to the crowds at this point. They are saying, how can you say the Son of Man is going to go away? And Jesus says, you're focusing on the wrong details. Take advantage of me while I'm here. Believe in me while I'm standing in front of you. You may not understand all the details, but you've got me in your midst. Believe in me. And so here is actually Jesus' answer to the first obstacle. Uh, so often we are confused. Uh, there, there are so many doctrines in Christianity, so many teachings, so many theological disagreements, even in the church. Where do we start? Right? How do we figure it all out? How do we put the pieces together? And Jesus' answer is believe in him. Believe in the light. And, and think about it. it. It makes sense. What is light for? Light makes other things visible. Light makes other things clear. Light brings clarity. And Jesus is saying, if you want clarity about spiritual realities, about all those questions you have, start by believing in the light. Start with Jesus. I had a friend who used to say, you don't get to Jesus through issues. You get to issues through Jesus. Start with Jesus and everything else will fall into place from there. Now, you may object, but I have so many questions about Jesus. That's the problem. And of course, so did the crowds. But when you are getting to know someone, you don't say, well, I don't know much about you, so I'm not going to listen to anything you say. No, that's the exact opposite of the way it works. If you want to get to know someone, you, you've got to start by engaging with that person. You go back and forth, you talk, you listen, you learn. If you want to begin to understand spiritual things, you've got to begin, begin by coming to Jesus. Uh, the fourth century theologian Augustine taught, you believe in order to understand. Now, in, in our culture, we want to reverse that order. We say, if I understand, then I'll believe. But faith doesn't actually work like that. That is the order of supposed autonomous human reasoning. That's the order of, I'll figure it out by myself, thank you very much. But if you start with autonomy, you will never reason to submission to the triune God. Uh, you, you can't figure everything out by your own autonomous reason and then, based on that autonomous reasoning, decide you're not autonomous. 
You can't begin by figuring everything out by your own wisdom and intellect and then recognize human ignorance and finitude and submit your wisdom and intellect to the all-wise, all-knowing God. If you want to begin to understand spiritual things, you start by coming to Jesus. We believe in order to understand. Now, unlike Jesus' contemporaries, of course, we don't have Jesus with us. We don't have the light among us for a little while longer as they did. Jesus has gone into heaven, so what are we to do? Well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that as we read the scriptures, we behold the light of the glory of Christ. God's word, after all, the scriptures teach, is a light to our feet. And so for us to walk in the light of Christ is for us to read the scriptures, to see Christ there and walk in light of him. Uh, that, that is true of the Old Testament. That, of course, is what Paul is speaking about uh, in, in that 2 Corinthians 3 passage. But it's even more true of the New Testament. The New Testament writer saw Christ's light and wrote of him. Uh, John says in his first letter, uh, 1 John 1, 1 to 2, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and is now made manifest to us. You see, John is saying, we have seen and we bear witness by what we say. If you're struggling to understand the whole Christianity thing, actually the, the Gospel of John, this book that we've been looking at, is a good place to start I actually always thought John was the most confusing of the Gospels. Sometimes Jesus goes off on these long speeches, and it can seem theologically and philosophically complex, and you might be left scratching your head and wondering, what is John getting at? What is Jesus getting at? But I've come to see as we've been studying these first 12 chapters together that John is also the most simple. John has one single point. Life is found in Jesus. Believe in him and you will have life. That's John's point of every chapter, of every verse. And he says it in a million different ways, and he can go deep at times, but it all points back to this. Believe in Jesus and you will have life in him. You may have all kinds of questions about that statement, but it is simple as far as it goes. And so John just keeps chipping away, giving us pictures of Jesus chapter after chapter from every angle so that we might believe in him. That's what John wants and he tells us that in, toward the end of the gospel in John chapter 20, verse 31, where he says, these things are written. Why, John? Why are they written? These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so first, the question is, well, what, what to believe? And if you want to understand, step one is actually believe in Jesus. That's not the end of a process of your reasoning it's the beginning of a process of understanding. Second, what gets in the way of that? What is stopping you from believing in Jesus? There could be all kinds of things, bad past experiences with the church, misinformation about the Bible, anger towards your parents, disagreement with Christian morality, wanting to fit in with non-Christian friends. And we could come up with dozens of things, I'm sure, that get in the way. John deals here in John 12 with two types of people. Uh, those who will not believe and those who will not commit. And in both cases, we, we will see there is something particular getting in their way. Uh, look again at verses 37 to 40. Uh, 37, uh, uh, John says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. 
so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And John here quotes two passages in Isaiah. The first is from Isaiah 53.1. It's a passage that is focused on the suffering servant. The song of the suffering servant begins, as we saw a few weeks back, with Isaiah 52.13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And it then goes on to that great prophecy that says in Isaiah 53, uh, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. But the part that John quotes here in verse 38 is in between those two sections. It's in Isaiah 53, verse 1. And it says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And you see, what he's saying is, Jesus has spoken, and few have believed what they heard. God has revealed his arm, his power in Jesus' miracles, but few have really seen it. John's conclusion may seem odd, but he says in verse 39, therefore they could not believe. Could not believe, John? I mean, what does that mean? They, they, they didn't have a chance? There was no possibility? Why, why not, John? What are you trying to get at? Uh, John again quotes Isaiah in verse 40, this quote is from Isaiah chapter 6, from Isaiah's own call to ministry. And Isaiah's ministry was to go to Israel and preach and be rejected. And that's what happened. And that's what God said was going to happen up front. Uh, the fuller text is this in Isaiah 6, 9 to 10. The voice of the Lord said to Isaiah, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. How's that for a job description? Go preach to a people who will never hear you. Why was this Isaiah's job description? And, and why would Isaiah make the people's hearts dull, their ears heavy, their eyes blind? That's what the text says. Some of you might think, well, Luke, you're a Calvinist. You're going to say God predestined it. And that's true. But that's not what these texts, either in Isaiah or John, are about. It's not simply God hardening hearts here, uh, but Isaiah through his ministry. And now Jesus through his ministry. The point is the people are so stuck in their sin when confronted with the truth, rather than softening to it, they stiffen. You see, the truth always cuts two ways. Some receive it, but others push back. And Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 to 16. He says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. The same gospel smells different to different people. The disciples saw Jesus' signs and believed in him. The Pharisees saw Jesus' signs and wanted to put him to death. Same sign, completely different reaction. Why was that? Well, why would Israel harden their hearts at the preaching of Isaiah? Well, it, it's simple, isn't it? They, they didn't want to hear it. 
And when someone tells you you're doing the wrong thing and you need to repent or face judgment, you have two options. You can receive the rebuke and repent or harden your heart, dig in your heels and start pushing back. John's point here is Israel was continuing to do in the gospel of John, Israel was continuing to do what they've always done. Once they rejected Isaiah, now they are rejecting the Messiah. But here's the key uh, takeaway at this point, that the lie that we tell ourselves is I don't believe because it's not plausible. I know better than God, and this whole Christianity, Christianity thing is just too outrageous. It's, it's not logical, or it's not scientific, or it's unbelievable. But the real reason that people were rejecting Jesus then, and if we're honest, the real reason people still reject Jesus today is not because of the implausibility of the message, but because of the immorality of the hearers, their hardness of heart. We don't believe in the message of the gospel because we don't like the message of the gospel, because it tells us we are wrong and sinful and not autonomous as we would like to think. Our unwillingness to submit to God causes us to harden our hearts against the truth. Uh, remember what Jesus said earlier about this? The opposite is also true. Jesus said in John 7, 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. And if you want to understand, you begin by believing in Jesus. And if you want to believe, you must be willing to submit yourself to God. For people who love their independence, that's a hard thing. It is first and foremost our loves that stop us from believing in Jesus. What do you love? What do you love so much that you will cling to it rather than cling to Jesus? Is there some thing, perhaps some sin in your life that you refuse to give up and so you refuse to believe in a God who would call you to give it up? Is it worth it? Now, Jesus says whoever saves his life will lose it and what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? What are you clinging to? Now, Jesus mentions a, a second group of people here. John mentions a second group of people, probably really just a subgroup in verses 42 to 43. We read, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And this is maybe just an, an illustration of John's point. Uh, why didn't people believe, or even if they did believe, why didn't they confess it? Why didn't they own it? Not because it was implausible, but because they were afraid. They were afraid of the Pharisees, afraid of those in power, afraid of being put out of the synagogue, afraid of losing their social status. They loved the glory that comes from man. They wanted to be known, approved of, praised by men. They wanted to be invited to all the right parties. They wanted connections. They wanted followers on social media and likes on their posts. Those who refused to believe had hard hearts and blind eyes because of their sin. Those who refused to admit it were afraid because of their love of this world. You see, again, what stops people from believing or from taking the step from intellectual assent to commitment to Christ is not the intrinsic implausibility of Jesus, but their love for this world. John says elsewhere in 1 John 2.15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
You see, you can only have one ultimate love. If you have more than one love, when they come into conflict, one or the other is going to win out. If you love your sin or if you love this world more than God, more than the God who made the world, more than the God who redeemed the world in Jesus, you will not believe. Indeed, you cannot. Your loves will not allow it. Now, that doesn't mean you're stuck there. It doesn't mean there's no hope for you. Uh, You can repent. Repent of these false loves. Repent of hard-heartedness. See what is getting in the way. Own that before God. Confess it to him and ask God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear by his mercy. So confusion gets in the way. Believe in Jesus. Begin there. Arrogance gets in the way. We think we know better. We insist we know better. We have to know better because we don't want to change. We don't want to lose our life. But if anyone seeks to save his life, he will lose it. Only if you lose your life for Jesus' sake will you find it and keep it for eternal life. Which brings us to our third point then. Why does this even matter? Confusion is one problem. Arrogance is another. But apathy is probably the biggest presenting problem of our age. The biggest religion of our day in America competing with Christianity, I would suggest, is not Islam or Judaism. It's not atheism or agnosticism. It's apathyism. People just don't care. I mean, what difference does it all make anyway? Uh, You live your life. I'll live mine. We'll all be happy. Religion, after all, we say is a private matter. I I can believe what I want to believe. You can believe what you want to believe. Nobody should tell anybody else what to believe. We should believe what makes us happy, whatever works for me, which I guess is really a kind of pragmatism. I don't care whether there is a God. I don't care what is true. I just care what works, whatever you have to tell yourself to get you through your day. So does it matter? And, And why does it matter? Three reasons it matters. One, this is a matter of darkness versus light. Two, of condemnation versus salvation. And three, of death versus life. Uh, First, this is a matter of darkness versus light. Verses 44 to 46. uh, Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Uh, Do you ever feel like uh, who God is is shrouded in darkness, mystery, confusion? How many times have you said or heard say, if God really wants to be known, why, why doesn't he just make things clear? Well, how much clearer can you get than this? If you believe in Jesus, you believe in the one who sent him. He's been talking about the one who sent him on and off for 12 chapters. He was sent by God, by his father. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God the Father. In verse 45, to see Jesus is to see God the Father. It's not that the Father and the Son are the same, but they are one. They are united. So if we want to know God, Jesus says, we just need to look at him. This is why he came, verse 46, as light, so people would not have to walk in darkness. In in John chapter 1, shortly after calling Jesus the true light, John also says in chapter 118, no one has ever seen God The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He's saying you you can't see God, which is exactly why Jesus came. In Jesus, we can see God, God in human flesh, the Son incarnate in the flesh. So when someone says, if God really wants to be known, why doesn't he just show himself? The answer is he did in Jesus. 
Jesus is God showing himself. He is the light, so you don't have to be in the dark when it comes to who God is anymore. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God. To see Jesus is to see the Father. It's that simple. So this is a matter of light versus darkness, of ignorance, ignorance versus understanding. Second, this is a matter of condemnation versus salvation. Look at verses 47 to 48. Jesus goes on, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus says he did not come to judge the world. Uh, Now, the word judge means two different things, at least. It can mean discern right from wrong, and it can mean condemn. Of course, Jesus actually is the judge and will judge the world on the last day. He's already told us that in the Gospel of John. John 5, 22, he says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. John 5, 27, he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. On the last day, Jesus will sit as judge, determining the ultimate destinies of every person. But Jesus did not come to condemn. In other words, he did not come to be the prosecuting attorney. So who is that, right? Who who is the prosecuting attorney? Who will bring evidence against us on the last day? Jesus says in verse 48, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You see, when you hear the truth and reject it, you condemn yourself particularly when you hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the one thing that could save you from judgment and you reject that, you condemn yourself. That word, the word of Jesus, the word of the gospel, that word that you did not believe will be used as evidence against you on the last day. And that's not why Jesus came. He did not come to judge the world, but to save it. As John told us earlier in his gospel in John 3, 17, uh, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came for the purpose of salvation, which is why Jesus came as a human being to die for human beings, which is why he stood in our place and bore our sin and died on the cross to bear God's wrath in our place. He did not come to judge the world, but to save it, which is why he conquered death by his death and was vindicated in his resurrection that we might stand vindicated before the Father. He did not come to judge the world, but to save it. The question now is, do you believe this? So why does it matter? It's a matter of light versus darkness, ignorance versus understanding. It's a matter of condemnation versus salvation. To reject Jesus' word is to be judged by it. To receive it, believe it, believe in him is to be saved by him. Third, then, this is a matter of death versus life, verses 49 to 50. Jesus goes on, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the father has told me. The Father has given commands to Jesus, is what he says there. The Father has instructed the Son what to do and what to say. He has given him a work. And that command to the Son, that work the Son is to do, brings eternal life. When some were leaving Jesus and he asked his closest disciples if they were going to go too, Peter responded in John 6, 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Later, Jesus will say in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
Jesus said earlier in John 6, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. See, Jesus came to save, to bring salvation instead of condemnation. But what does that mean? It means Jesus came to bring the life that comes from reconciliation to the Father. Jesus came to restore us to our Father in heaven by his death and resurrection that we might have life in him. Because this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ whom God has sent. If you're on the fence and are wondering why it matters, this is a matter of of darkness, ignorance, condemnation, and death versus light, understanding, salvation, and life. Those things matter, and they are found in Jesus. He alone is light and life. Repent of rival loves. Submit yourself to the Father. Turn to Jesus and be saved. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we can only pray that you, by your Spirit, would give us eyes to hear, eyes to see, and ears to hear this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.